Here at Odd Trails, we'd love to hear more of your stories. So much, in fact, that in celebration of Odd Trails' first birthday today, we're going to send three stickers to the author who sends us the story we like the most and talk about it during our end-of-episode banter. Even if you don't get first place, though, you can still look forward to potentially hearing your story on the show. So make sure to send your submissions in to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. In 1994, I lost my brother Daniel due to a car accident caused by a drunk driver. He was coming home from work one night after pulling a 10-hour shift at McDonald's. After sitting in a stoplight in the downtown area where we lived, he pulled into the intersection when the light turned green. But he was T-boned by an SUV going 75 while blowing the red light. He was only two years older than me and died at just 17 years old. Being my only sibling, it was incredibly hard to lose him like that. I looked up to my brother so much. My parents were obviously devastated. But I didn't cry when we were notified of the incident. I didn't cry at the funeral. Yes, as I said, his death was very hard on me, but for some reason I just couldn't get myself to cry. And I felt really bad about this. Everyone else constantly bawling and grieving over the loss of my older brother, and there I was, stone-faced and confused about it. This persisted. Daniel and I shared a room, and I found it very hard to sleep in there alone after his death. I spent most of my nights sleeping on the couch, falling asleep to late-night infomercials. One night, I woke up to static on the TV. This was weird because we had cable, and those infomercials usually played all night long. I don't remember them ever going off the air, to be honest. I rubbed my eyes, and I reached for the remote on the ground near the couch where I had left it. Now, I know that I had left it there, because I had gotten into the habit of placing it in the same spot every night. I did this because the first night, while sleeping on the couch, I had rolled over on the remote, and I turned the volume up to the max. My dad had recently purchased a very nice sound system, so I ended up scaring the shit out of everyone. So, I started putting it on the floor, right next to the space heater that I would use to keep warm. It was January in Wisconsin, and I was freezing cold, especially at night. The weird thing is, the remote wasn't there. I got up and I turned the TV off with the power button on the TV itself. Yes, TVs used to have buttons. It was an awesome time to be alive. I then started to take all the cushions off the couch to look for the damn remote, but it was nowhere to be found. I moved the couch back and searched underneath. Nothing. I searched the entire den from top to bottom. No TV remote anywhere. 
I had to be up for school in two hours, so I decided to just stay awake and play my Game Boy for a bit. I had such a hard time sleeping anyway. I needed to keep my mind occupied. I was doing surprisingly well at this point, but keeping busy was definitely helping. Fifteen minutes into a Tetris marathon, and I began to feel this sensation. The one that we all talk about, where it seems like someone is watching you. I was lying on the couch with my head propped up on the arm. This feeling of being watched intensified the more that I focused on it. It was dead silent in my house, with just the ticking of the grandfather clock in our dining room echoing through the house, as well as my space heater humming along. My gut was telling me that something was terribly wrong. I turned my head to look behind me, fully prepared to find a home invader with a gun ready to blow my head off. Instead, I saw nothing. I got up as the feeling of being watched slowly dissipated, and I searched the rest of the downstairs area for signs of anyone, but turned up with nothing. I decided to head up to my room and start getting ready for school early. I figured I could just spend some extra time in a nice hot shower to ease my nerves. I turned to walk towards the stairs that were located in the center of the house, but I was stopped in my tracks when I looked up to the second story and saw someone. Just describing this person, or thing, right now, it gives me chills. At the top of my stairs in the darkness of the hallway was a black hooded figure, about five feet tall. Under the black hood, I saw a truly grotesque face. It looked down on me. Not the face of any human, but the face of some kind of goblin. It resembled the demon Pazuzu from the movie The Exorcist, but it looked even more animalistic, almost like some kind of gargoyle. Its eyes widened as they made contact with mine. I stood there trembling, unable to move my legs as I watched this monster stare back at me with the most hideous expression of evil I had ever seen. At that moment, I believed I was staring at the devil. The figure bared its razor-sharp teeth in a smile before opening the mouth and letting out an ear-shattering scream. It then quickly turned and took off down the hall towards my parents' room. I could hear its footsteps as they loudly boomed above me. As I said, it was no more than five feet tall, but its footfalls sounded like they belonged to a professional football player quickly stomping down the hallways. Tears now streaming down my face for the first time since my brother had passed away, I was able to finally break through the shock that kept me frozen at the bottom of those stairs. But I didn't dare run up there to chase that thing, even if it was headed straight for my parents' room. Instead, I screamed back at this thing at the top of my lungs. And I didn't stop. I stood there, continuing to shriek as if my life depended on it. All of the pent-up grief... The lack of sleep, the fear that I felt in that moment, it all came pouring out in a constant stream of tears and screams. I fell to my knees, and even though I had never been religious in any way, I prayed at the top of my lungs for this thing to leave my home. The next thing I knew, my parents were practically flying down the stairs to my aid. Through my relentless sobbing, I tried to explain what I saw to them, 
They walked me over to the couch and listened to me intently, ensuring me that it was probably just a dream. But I knew that this wasn't the case. They said they didn't hear anything until my screaming and my crying, which woke them up. They were just as confused as I was. I can imagine I probably scared them as much as that thing scared me. I didn't go to school that day. My mom stayed home from work with me and we spent the day together talking. She said that she actually believed me and that I saw what I saw. We came to the conclusion that this thing could have been some kind of manifestation of my own grief and sadness that I had been holding on to. I now believe that it was some kind of demon, though, something that attached itself to me. It was feeding off of these emotions. This is why I almost felt numb during the weeks following Daniel's death. I never saw that thing again, and I went back to sleeping in my old room the very next night. But I'll never forget that demonic face. It was the face of pure evil. I can't watch The Exorcist anymore because of it. Oh, and we never could find that fucking TV remote. So this story is pre-children, and my best friend and I used to do a ton of abandoned house hunting. Lots of awesome finds and some really creepy places. There was a house that was close to hers on a stretch of two-lane highway. We pulled our car to the side of the road, a short distance from the house. Then we ran down the shoulder of the road. We were greeted by a rusted, gated fence closing off the property. It was locked up with a loose chain, but we were able to push the gate open a bit and made our way through the small opening. We kept making our way up the driveway and got to the side of the house, where the doors were closed but you could see inside. It was dark and clearly abandoned. Me being the brave one, I pulled open the glass door and grabbed the handle to the wooden main door. As I pushed it open a crack, I looked in through the big window and into this kitchen area, dark and unused. I then see two dark figures, not looking at me or even aware of my presence. One was an old woman who was sitting at the table, and another who looked like a younger man, standing up on the other side of the table by the sink and fridge. I turned to my friend and said, Run! The glass door slammed as I let it go and bolted towards the fence. Before pushing back through the fence and heading to the road, I turned to the house, and to my surprise, no one, no one ran out after us. Why, I thought. They were there. I saw them. Fast forward to about four years later, I've now had my first child and she's only just turned a year. My best friend and I are back at doing our abandoned house hunting when she says to me, Hey, remember that house near my old place? The one you said you saw people in? Well, yeah, of course I remember. How could I not? She continues to say that Eric, 
a friend of ours, was mutual friends with the property owner. He asked me if we ever went in there and set fires or spray-painted. I'm like, what? Why would he ask you that? Because people had been living there by now. She turns to me, looking pale in the face, and says, No, Jill. He told me that house has been abandoned for almost 40 years, and someone's been in there trying to burn it down. I got goosebumps and a cold chill. He updated my friend not too long ago about what's been happening. The police got a call about a suspicious person going into that house. Another fire was set, and he was arrested. The owner had to be there, and he told the police he had no idea who this person was. Well, when the guy was asked why he was doing this, his response was, This house sits on the devil's land, and it needs to be burned down. I don't know who I saw that day in that house, but I believe that they were there just showing themselves to me, to keep me from entering and finding something darker lurking. When I was 21, the family cat that we had for 17 years passed away. His name was Goliath, named after the character from the 90s Gargoyles cartoon. We had adopted Goliath's mom, and she had a litter of kittens not too long after we got her. From the three kittens that she had, we kept two. Being four years old at the time, when he was born, it was exciting that I'd get to essentially grow up alongside my cat, who was basically my best friend for most of my life. He put up with me and all the things that a small child does with pets, dressing him up in baby doll clothes and pushing him around in a stroller. He trusted me completely and would always be by my side through everything. At one point, we had about seven or eight cats in our small apartment, so we had to make the hard choice to rehome almost all of them since we couldn't afford to properly care for that many animals. Goliath was the one that we kept, and she stayed my ever-vigilant best buddy. The whole family was devastated when he passed. This was my first experience with a pet's death, and I was really hurting. It was only a few days after he had passed that my parents and I started to notice some things. I was sitting in the living room, and I heard the very specific sound of a cat jumping down from the counter. While we did have another cat at the time, he was fast asleep in my parents' room, and there was nothing happening in the kitchen. At night, my bedroom door was kept closed, and there was no way that my other cat could get into the room. As I'm just about to drift off, I feel pressure on the bed, and movement like an animal is walking. I then felt a light pressure against my hip. At that point, I was convinced that Goliath's spirit had stuck around for a little while just to keep an eye on things and to make sure that we were all okay. This was confirmed when my dad, who is a non-believer in anything supernatural, said that he actually saw Goliath sitting on the couch and watching him. He doesn't like to talk about it because it did freak him out. But my mom and I 
are more than a little jealous that he actually got to see our beloved pet one last time. My second experience was when I was in college. My roommate was a self-proclaimed beacon for the paranormal, and after she told me many of her stories, I was more inclined to believe her. Our room was rectangle-shaped and had a shared bathroom with the room next to us. The front door of the room was kitty-corner to the bathroom door, so if you were standing in the bathroom, you could only see a small portion of our room. I was brushing my hair and getting ready to sit down and do some homework when out of the corner of my eye, I see movement. I turn my head and see a small black mass crawling across the floor, just past the bathroom door and into the main part of the dorm room. I froze for a moment, not really registering what I saw. It didn't have a defined shape, and while it was an inky black color, it was like the edges were kind of blurred out. I slowly walked out of the bathroom, looking around the floor. My roommate was sitting at her desk, which was faced the direction of the bathroom. I went to ask, did you just see? But then she cut me off. The thing crawling across the floor? Yes. And we're not talking about it. My final story is probably my favorite one, but also the saddest. On my mom's side of the family, the women tend to be more sensitive to things and have some kind of psychic ability. Nothing too much, but just like knowing exactly who would be calling before the phone even rang, things like that. One shared belief is that when we dream about loved ones who have passed, it's their spirit checking in on us. My maternal grandfather had stage 4 lung cancer. During the last few days of his life, he had a stroke and was rushed to the hospital. His stroke caused a brain bleed, which nothing could be done for. And after much discussion between my mom, aunts, and uncles, it was decided it would be best if he was home for the end. A bed was set up in the house, and family was around him constantly for the next two days. He couldn't speak and could hardly move, so we did our best to just talk to him and comfort him. I stayed as late as I could one night, but had to leave due to needing to be up early the next day. That next morning, my dad woke me up to let me know that he and my mom would be going back over, trying to hint that I needed to come along too, but I was just too tired, and I wasn't really understanding him. I said okay and went back to sleep for a little bit before I had to go to work. When I went back to sleep, I dreamed that I was sitting in a hospital. I was in the waiting room with my grandfather. I was crying, and he said that it was okay to be sad. Everything would be all right. He handed me a box of tissues, and I said that I was worried I'd get some snot on him, which made us both laugh. He said that he wasn't worried about a little snot. I woke up shortly after that and felt a strange sense of peace. I checked my phone as I got up and had a message from my dad that my grandfather had passed not long ago. I called off work, and I went to be with the rest of the family that day. I truly believe that it was my grandfather's spirit visiting me to let me know things would be okay. In my family, we don't say goodbye. We just say, 
See you later. I grew up in a typical LDS home in Utah. Angels and demons were taught to be theoretically around, but never talked about seeing them, hearing them, or feeling them, really. My only teaching about the supernatural world was that Joseph Smith saw angels who taught him. The Holy Ghost is sent to us for comfort and warnings, and that our ancestors' spirits are around us. No one in my family ever talked about having experiences with anything supernatural. So when I started having experiences of my own, I had no one in my family to talk about it with. Luckily, I had met a friend a few years prior who sees and hears spirits, so I often talk to her about what I've seen, just so I feel a little less crazy. All my experiences have opened me and my husband up to the more supernatural, energetic side of the universe. Though we are still active in our church, we have seen a Reiki and have began researching the energy connecting everything in the universe. I've had some deeply personal experiences with ancestors and other good spirits that I feel are too sacred to share, but I will share some of my more recent experiences with the dark spirits. I only see things with my third eye and only hear things in my mind, never with my physical ears or eyes. So for me, it's like I'm watching a memory play out in front of me, but it's happening in real time. Or when I hear something, it's a different voice talking in my mind. One experience I will never forget is when my son was 18 months old. One evening, he started fussing and just wanted to be held by me. No big deal at first, as I didn't mind snuggling my growing baby. But as the evening went on, nothing was soothing him. He wouldn't eat or drink, wouldn't play or sleep. He did nothing but cry. His cries got louder and more intense as he was constantly tossing and turning. Finally, after midnight, I decided to take him to our local children's hospital. They examined him with no physical symptoms present. They even did an ultrasound on his stomach and intestines. Everything came back clear. At around 4.30 in the morning, he finally fell asleep in my arms in the exam room. They examined him again since he was now relaxed and still no symptoms were present. They discharged us and, not knowing what was happening, simply told me to keep an eye on him and let them know if that happened again, or if he started presenting any other symptoms. I offhandedly told the Reiki I was seeing at the time about it when she asked how everyone was doing, and she told me that there were evil spirits torturing him, and she did an energetic clearing on him. Part of me was skeptical when she said that, since I had started to learn some of the energetic tools she used and had felt nothing at the time of my son's incident. But I was also aware of the fact that I am nowhere near as sensitive as she was, so I was grateful for her help and prayed that would be the end of it. A few weeks later, my husband was gone. My son started having another episode. I put my other kids to bed 
and cradled my son in my arms while sitting on my bed. His cries quickly got louder, and his body started contorting in ways almost unnatural, like he was truly being physically tortured. He was screaming and clawing at me and himself, whatever he could get his hands on. In tears I started praying, begging for help and comfort for my son. I played some of our church hymns on my phone, and I cleared him through the power of Christ. Slowly, he started to settle down and fell asleep in my arms. I laid down in my bed with him so I could snuggle him and protect him all night, and suddenly, with my third eye, I saw an evil, bird-like face appear above us in the bed, kind of like those old plague masks. Somehow, I knew it was female. It glared deeply at me and I just knew that was what had been torturing my son, and she was not happy about me detaching her. I cleared the space again and cleared the house. That was my first time ever seeing anything, and I think it will permanently be burned into my mind. On another occasion, I woke up with a horrible feeling coming over me. I sat up and knew that there was something evil in the home, and I proceeded to clear the home. For context, the front door leads to the kitchen, dining room, living room, open space. Off the living room, there's a larger hallway with two bedrooms on the right, and to the left, there's another small hallway with the master bedroom straight ahead and the bathroom on the right. It took a few times of clearing before I saw a dark shadow being pulled down the larger hallway by a ball of light. It was trying to grab the walls with its hands to stop itself from being pulled back, but the ball of light seemed to have a hold around what would be its stomach and pulled it down the hall and out the front door. It was all in my third eye because I was still in my room and there was a door and a wall in between me and the hallway, making it physically impossible for me to see but my third eye saw it when I looked in that direction, if that makes sense. I've also had an experience while at my sister's house. My kids and I were visiting her and spending the night in the large loft above the garage where we usually stay. I put my kids to bed earlier, and after watching some TV, decided to go to bed myself. I went up to the loft and climbed into bed. I usually like to sleep on my left side, which would put my back to the door in this particular setup. I laid down and instantly felt like I was being watched, and I was extremely creeped out. I rolled over so I was facing the door, and saw what looked like a tall, slender shadow wearing a bowler hat leaning against the doorway. I tried clearing the space multiple times like I usually do, but nothing seemed to happen. He just stayed there, watching me. I eventually fell asleep, but stayed facing the door the entire night. Luckily, my kids didn't seem to sense it and slept peacefully through the night. I talked with my friend about it later, and she said it was what she calls a watcher. They are some sort of neutral spirit, not inherently good or evil. 
They seem to just watch and observe. She's not sure why they do it. According to her, the usual clearing doesn't work, since they aren't evil, and different wording is needed to have them removed from your presence. I've felt the watcher since then, and have properly cleared them, but for some reason, I'm still creeped out sleeping at my sister's house, and to this day I can't sleep with my back to the door. My last experience I'll share with you is one of the most recent experiences and probably one of the creepiest. It happened just a few weeks ago. My husband and I were asleep in our bed, and our kids were all asleep in their beds. I woke up with a horrible, creepy feeling. I grabbed my phone and turned on the flashlight, then aimed it at the door. We keep our door mostly closed, but not latched, so the kids can easily come in during the night if they need to. It was then I saw the door moving quickly, back and forth about one to two inches. It moved back and forth probably ten or more times before it stopped and was still again. Our window was open, but it couldn't have been from a draft. It was moving too fast to be any wind causing it, and the door never hit the frame. It stopped on its own before it came in contact with it. I sat perfectly still just watching the door for another few minutes before I decided I was just going to chalk it up to a draft or a freak experience. I turned off my flashlight and started to lay back down when I heard the door creak again. I shot up and turned my flashlight back on and watched it again quickly open and close one to two inches another ten or so times. Thoroughly creeped out now, I started to clear the space, and it started up again. I cleared the space multiple times, and put on some church hymns again, before I finally felt at peace, enough to go back to sleep. The next morning, I thought back to the experience, and saw with my third eye, something outside the door, holding the handle, shaking it back and forth, trying to get into my room. The only way I know how to describe it is it reminded me of the aliens from the Signs movie. Whether or not it looked like that, I'm not sure. It's just the image that came to mind while trying to recall the night before, and what could have been the cause of it. This is the first time I've seen anything being physically moved by something unseen. Sometimes I wish my third eye had never been opened to the dark, unseen things of the universe. But I find that it is only opened when I need to protect my family, so I am grateful. I feel like my third eye is starting to open so that I can help protect my kids and help them navigate their own experiences. My kids have all had some sort of experience with spirits as well, and maybe one day I'll send in another submission with their stories. Happy birthday, Odd Trails. 
We did it. One year. We did it. One year in the can, which is funny because it's technically year two. It took us like a year to plan and actually get the <laughs> podcast launched. So That's true. It feels like we've been involved with this for like three years. Yeah. I, I, and a lot of our, our listeners have been kind of following us for a while too, because we, we were talking about it for so long. And uh, yeah, it, it feels like much longer than a year, but it's been a crazy year for us. We had a lot of new listeners. So many interesting stories got sent in. When we started it, one of our main topics that we wanted to explore was aliens, UFOs, abductions. Mm -hmm. But that seems to be right. one of the topics that we've received the least amount of submissions for. Right, right. I've noticed that too. And that's probably why my personal favorite stories involve alien abductions or alleged abductions. Yeah. What about you? Do you have any favorites? Well, the one that stuck out to me and the one that we get a lot of feedback about was the Black Hand one that I narrated. That one was dark and really depressing, but also very frightening. The idea of a giant hand, just a giant hand in general, kind of like that. Super Smash Brothers. Exactly. I used to get mm -hmm. really scared of the hand in Super Smash Brothers. It was a terrifying boss. And in Ocarina of Time, there's big hands that scare the shit out of me too. I see. I need to play that one. I haven't played Ocarina of Time. I've only played a handful of Zelda games and that's the one that you and my wife both have been barking at me to play. It's worth it. It's aged very well. Yeah. Played on the 3DS. Aged just about as well as that Black Hand story. I tell you, I've had dreams about that story, like the giant hand. It's it's just a scary thought to me, just like an appendage that's giant. <laughs> it's spooky. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I too wish we had more alien submissions. It is kind of wild because there are so many alien abduction stories and UFO sighting stories out there on the internet, on YouTube, on TV shows. It seems to be a popular thing that people encounter and talk about even more so than a lot of the topics that we get on the podcast, like the glitch in the matrix type stories, mm -hmm. uh, like time slips, those kinds of things. Those are a little bit more niche, but we tend to get more of those. And that kind of tells me that the stories that we are receiving are in fact true, because why aren't people making up fictional stories of aliens? Please don't. That's not an invitation, but yeah, we don't, we don't want you guys writing stories right. that, that aren't real. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So all these like shadow people and haunted houses and, seeing visions and ghosts and spirits, that just tells me, that reaffirms my belief that there is something out there. You better believe it. Very ominous. Very good. <laughs> the shadow people in particular are always interesting because that is one of the most common things that we've found as a trend in all of our submissions. I think we have more shadow people stories than anything. Maybe not, maybe not as not more than hauntings or ghosts, but shadow people comes a close second to ghosts and hauntings. I agree. And a lot has been said about these sort of shadow people or demons or whatever playing on our anxieties, our fears. Who knows? Who's really to say where these things come from or what sort of prerequisites there are that may cause them to appear? Yeah, I don't understand them, but I, having seen them myself, my cousin has seen them. So many listeners have written in that they've seen them. It's just undeniable that they do exist. But do we accept them as spirits or entities? Or are we going to assume that they're just hallucinations? Like mm -hmm. between that waking and sleeping state where you can actually see things. You know, sometimes you'll wake up in the middle of the night and you'll look at like a pile of clothes or something. And your brain tells you that it's like a giant spider. Yeah, yeah. And it looks like that for a second mm -hmm. until you fully wake up and realize what it is. 
could it be something like that? But then you got to realize that we're all seeing the same exact thing. Yeah, like the hat man, for example. And they don't just disappear after you fix your eyesight or whatever. People can stare at these things, see movement. It's more than just a a quick hallucination or a, a trick of the eye. Exactly. Yeah. And in the, the story that I narrated this week about the guy whose brother passed away, he saw what apparently was a shadow figure at the top of his stairs, but it also ended up having a demon face, like a demonic face. So they always seem to have a negative energy about them. I wonder if they could be some kind of demonic force. I like when we get into stories that have to do with demons or even religions. I I like talking about religions, different things on the podcast like that. Same. I almost majored in theology, but I opted not to. It's fun stuff. Speaking of religion, a big thank you for the submission from the individual who I would consider my neighbor. Yeah. We're all very tight-knit here in Utah. I may not be part of the LDS church, but nonetheless, thank you for the submission. And have you heard of the missionaries, the LDS missionaries that have their own language? I honestly have no idea what LDS is even about. I don't know anything about Mormonism, if that's the correct term. Um, I actually Not anymore, but whatever. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I actually didn't even know that Mormons belong to what was called LDS, Church of Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. I thought that it was two different things. I didn't know that they were were the same thing until pretty recently. So yeah, I actually, I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, it's a fun rabbit hole. We can talk about it some more offline, but I just wanted to talk about this language that they have developed. So basically they can get sent off abroad and whatnot. And first they go to a missionary training center. And if they need to, they learn the native language of the country that they're going to. Well, the missionaries who serve in Japan actually developed their own legitimate pseudo-language called, I hope I can pronounce this right, Senkyo Shigo. Sure, sounds which good. Which is a, thank you, thank you. Japanese is actually really easy to pronounce. It it's is. It's so like <laughs> syllabolic, syllab- what's that word? <laughs> it was, Syll- well, it's a syllabic. little bit easier than English, apparently. <laughs> it, apparently so. Actually, I have a ton um, of trouble with English. You would be surprised how many words we both have to look up how to pronounce. But anyway, Senkyo Shigo is a hybrid of Japanese and English. It's considered a cant, which Wikipedia defines as the jargon or language of a group often employed to exclude or mislead people outside the group. However, it's important to note that there isn't any sort of secrecy or deception surrounding it. Mm -hmm. It's just that there isn't exactly a large number of Japanese-speaking Mormons so they do it more as a fun group bonding sort of thing. Oh. And there's, yeah, yeah. It's it's more than just like pig Latin and there's actually some syntax to it. Right. And it isn't like Spanglish where if you don't know the Spanish word, you just say it in English. Right. There's actually a lot to it. I don't know how they do it, but it seems pretty legit. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, it's it's still playful. It's not considered a an actual language, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, I mean- they can speak and understand each other and nobody else can. So that's that's pretty remarkable, I'd say. That's funny because of all the languages that I've attempted to learn, which I've done pretty well at a few of them, um, but I, I, I need to pick it back up. One of them, the easiest one was Japanese. When I started learning Japanese, I, I still only know a handful of sentences that could probably just get me around town. But exactly. I know like some basic stuff that could probably get me somewhere, but 
it was so much easier to learn that than any other language. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. We should start learning Spanish together. I know enough where <laughs> I could help you and uh, get you up to speed real quick. We can speak some Spanish and go or to Spain. we could come up with our own Mormon version of Spanish. <laughs> oh, also, fun fact. The word they used for mail carrier used to be bigot. But really? They, they changed. Yeah, but they changed it to Steve. <laughs> so I'm sorry for I'm sorry for any mail carriers out there named Steve. I'm sure you're a great person. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't groan at the mention of a Steve, which it's funny when I did those Let's Not Meet shows up in Seattle and Portland at the Portland show. The moment I mentioned a, a guy's name, Mark, in a story. Two people in the audience groaned. I just said Mark. His name was Mark. And they, there was nothing bad about Mark yet. Like, I don't even know if he was the bad guy in the story. I can't remember exactly. But I didn't say anything bad about Mark. I just said, and his name was Mark. And, and I just heard, ugh, from the audience. I was like, What's wrong with Mark? Well, maybe they thought he spelled his name with a C. <laughs> Mark. You rascal. Completely random, but I was talking to somebody at work about phobias, and I realized you and I haven't really talked about our actual phobias. What are yours? I have a lot of pet peeves, but phobias... I mean, have your typical spiders and snakes. Not a thing for me. I hate them. I don't like them in my house. I don't like, I don't like looking at them. Honestly, I don't know if I have any actual phobias. Interesting. Besides, the like I said, the normal stuff. What about, like, a particular object like i knew a guy who had a weird thing about ketchup we were at summer camp and we were learning how to take off medical gloves without getting blood on our hands for whatever reason mm -hmm. and they used ketchup for that and this kid like he started panicking and he almost cried wow. and had to be escorted away because people were walking around with ketchup on their hands and it was really strange yeah i guess you could say i'm getting better with it but i had the phobia of clowns i got over that though yeah i actually like them now i mean if i saw a clown in the middle of the street with a knife in their hand or if i saw a clown outside of my window obviously i would be scared but like just the idea of clowns like watching them in movies or looking at photos of them I actually used to get yeah i guess you could say i had a phobia of it yeah that is interesting because despite my Suppose it. I'm not supposed. Yeah, I do. I like clowns, but I've never been drawn to literal clowns. I like the vintage artwork, the bright and bubbly aesthetic, that yeah, whole thing. I like yeah. the idea of clowns, but yeah. I don't like actual clowns besides art, the clown. Yeah, we all love Terrifier. I actually, I probably brought it up in a past episode. I'm going to stop saying that because there's a very good chance we're always going to bring stuff up. I think every episode we do that. That we've talked about before because, I mean, we only live one life and we've yeah. talked about everything. And we're each old other, and forgetful. So whatever. Jesus. Yeah. I can't remember anything, but I can't even remember what I was about to say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I also had that phobia of rotoscope cartoons. Oh, like we did talk them, about that. Yeah. Honestly, looking at a rotoscoped cartoon, especially from like the Superman era, the the Betty Boop era, that type of cartoon used to really disgust me. Like I, I couldn't even look at it. It scared me so bad. And it's completely so something that I've never been able to explain. I guess it could be kind of an uncanny Valley thing. That's exactly what it is. Again, just like with clowns. Robots and uncanny Valley stuff that you look at online that people say is creepy. Doesn't scare me at all. Hmm. Like the little AI robots that look super real? Yeah, that's like, I think it looks cool. I'm mm -hmm. like, I like to look at those types of things. Um, they don't scare me at all. So at, uh, maybe it's not the Uncanny Valley thing. There was just something about rotoscoping cartoons that always scared me. And it was Gulliver's Travels, that motherfucker. Mm -mm -mm. That, shit, that shit scared me. 
it. Anyway, yeah, those are my phobias. How about you? Do you do you have any? Truthfully, I can't think of any actual phobias yeah, per hard. se. Just I have my anxieties. I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah. It's just weird anxiety triggers. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as any sort of object or animal, I, I would say I guess bats are kind of a ooh. They're, yeah, they're on my list too. Unorth- yeah, kind of an unorthodox fear. But I mean, apparently you're afraid of them too. But if I see bats flying around a parking lot. I'm staying in my car or I'm sprinting. Like, I, I can't be around a bat. Same. I don't want to get a bat in my hair. I don't want rabies. I don't, yeah. No. Rabies, that's what scared me. Rabies, that thing. Ugh. It's the same thing as a rat. Like like a sewer rat or like a rat that isn't a pet. I'm staying the hell away from yeah, that thing. Yeah, I, I shrieked really loud at work when a mouse <laughs> went by the desk. I did not care. People laughed their asses off at me, but I was just like, ah, and like <laughs> brought my knees up to my chest and clenched <laughs> It's so funny. My wife and I found a a mouse in our old apartment years ago, and she was making fun of me for not wanting to get near it. And she went to go catch it, and it ran out from underneath her. And she went, ah, like freaked out. I was like, okay, who's scared of mice now? Like, we're not scared of mice. It's just the idea of a stray mouse or a stray rat or a stray bat. We don't know what they're carrying. So I think that's not a phobia. That's just like a, that's like a natural yeah. instinct to, to want to stay away from it. Like wanting to stay away from a lion or something. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it's natural to want to do that. The funny thing is I felt the same way about rats. I still do like a, a wild rat that I'm not expecting, but I had a neighbor that was moving and had to get rid of his two pet rats. And he asked me to look after them. And this was my first time ever being around a rat in person in that sort of capacity. And I just had to cast that fear aside and I actually held one and I immediately fell in love. I I love pet rats. They're so cool and they're smart too and affectionate. I'm a rat guy. Yeah, I I told my wife that if they didn't smell, if they had zero smell whatsoever, Mm -hmm. I would would own a rat because they're super sweet. They are, they're the best. But there's a smell that I just can't handle. It doesn't matter if it's a clean rat, boy rat, girl rat, there's a rat smell. There's a a rodent smell, whether it's hamsters, rats, mice. Hamsters are dicks. It's so specific. I just can't, I can't do the smell. Mm-hmm. I'm, I have a very sensitive nose. So the slightest off putting smell, mm-hmm. it drives me nuts. Yeah. yeah. And I've noticed every time I try to touch your nose softly, you're like, ow, it's sensitive. So it is super sensitive. I don't like it when you touch my nose like that. Yeah. I'll stop doing that. I'd like to apologize for all the times I've touched your nose without your consent. Apology accepted. Let's Thank move you. on from that. Okay. Yeah, I think good. we can move on from that issue. Good. I'm glad you're healed. <laughs> The guilt has been lifted <laughs> off have, my chest. You don't have consent to touch my nose. Damn it. All right. Buttocks yeah. it is. Yes, sir. Anyways, thanks everybody for listening. This week you have heard The Entity at the Top of the Stairs by Jake, Creepy Abandoned House by Jillian, An Untitled Story by Samantha, and finally, My Third Eye Has Been Opened by Michelle. All the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of the respective authors. If you've got a story to share, make sure you send them to stories at oddtrails.com. And remember, we're going to pick a winner. You're going to get some prizes, and we'll talk about your story on the show. And don't forget, if you want to get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes at a higher bit rate for the best quality listening experience, head over to patreon.com forward slash oddtrails to sign up and support the show today. We'll see you all next week. Stay safe. Peace out.